Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we are joined by Garen Jones. You may recall that Garen and Matthew and I were all part of the Citizens of Hollywood at Disney. It hasn't come back yet post-pandemic. We are crossing our fingers that it will come back. Cross everything you have two of. Anyway... Nonetheless, this was like a little mini reunion love fest because we just adore each other, all three of us, and we love working together, and I really miss getting to perform with these guys. This week, Garen and Matthew and I watched Season 7, Episode 15, called Stakeout Blues, which had an original air date of January 11th, 1986. Uh, Interesting point, you know how I've talked about how I consider the DVDs to be the Bible, they are canon and all that stuff? Uh, The DVDs don't list this as Stakeout Blues. It just calls this episode Stakeout. How interesting is that? I could understand them wanting to pare down, come back to the truck stop, Natalie Green, Natalie Green, a few weeks ago, but Stakeout Blues just becoming Stakeout? That's, okay, fine. Very weird. Anyway, title issues aside, it's a fun conversation, and I think we're ready to jump on in and let you start listening. Let's face the facts with Garen Jones. Garen Jones, hi! Hello. (laughs) I think it was uh, my, my friend Justin who was like, hi, David having a public conversation slash performance with you where we're calling each other by our first and last names. I don't mind at all, David. Uh-huh. Well, it was part of your contract. When you when you came into Citizens of Hollywood, you were like, you will only call me Garen Jones That's or correct. Mr. Jones. Yes. And uh, we had to take the green M&Ms out of the bowl every morning or yep. you would throw a shit fit. And, you know, Citizens might be behind us, but I'm so glad that we that I get to get together with with you and Matthew here because I feel like the only other situation where we would talk again is if there was a meeting of like guys that would have had a really fun take on Stone Granite but were never considered for the role. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And uh, and the other great thing is that uh, when I contacted you about coming back to the show, uh, I, I come to discover that you have a broken ankle that you've been you, you've had it since what june yeah that's a you you phrase that as a great thing um it's <laughs> i i did because you have nowhere to be you you could not run oh. literally you couldn't say oh david i can't i'm too busy sitting around with a broken ankle Fuck. yes so i have good. zero excuses uh no i um the, the short story is i was on my first day of vacation uh at, at the beach and I was uh, goofing around with a boogie board and I decided to step on it and a wave came and my ankle rolled underneath Ugh. and I popped right back up like, oh, it's okay. Just tweaked it. Uh, oh. I ended up walking around on it on the beach for a little while because I thought I could, uh, you know, maybe walk it off. I've walk it off, baby. <laughs> so I didn't, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, no, I, I had to go to the hospital the next day. Oh, bugger. And, uh, and then I had, I had surgery and I'm, uh, I'm almost through that. I'm almost back to, uh, I can bear weight at the end of this week, hopefully. Man, you sent me an x-ray. You were just like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I've been doing this for the last how many weeks now? Yeah, it's eight eight weeks. Oh, yeah, fuck, a little dude. over eight weeks. It's been broken. And uh, I got a plate and some screws in there. I know I went big. I'm my first break. I went big time on it. So you've been out of work. You, you got called back to work. You're one of the few, the proud, who are a working full-time performer at Disney. And, uh, and now you're out on disability of all yeah. things. <laughs> yes. No. And um, so I can't believe for a second summer in a row, I've been stuck in the house due to a medical thing that I never could have saw coming, you know? Yeah. Um, and how is it with, with two kids climbing all over you? 
well, no, they've been they've been actually wonderful. I think it's one of those life changing experiences for them. They're six and four now, and they just kind of had to step up, you know, and do more around the house because for at least for those first few weeks, I was I was not in a great shape. I couldn't move very much. I tried, but uh, no. So they've been awesome. They're so excited that I'm going to be back to normal soon and we can actually do all sorts of stuff again. But uh, I've tried to stay as active as possible. I've never broken a bone at all. Did you say it was your first break? My first break. Yeah. Oh, oh. God, and, the last time you were here was August of 2020, almost a year to the day now, because oh, yeah. we're we're taping this at the end of August. The taping, yeah, I got the I got the reel to reel recorder. Put put a wax cylinder on the gramophone there, and uh, and do my Mr. Lazzaroni accent because you did the <laughs> Christmas episode from season five when we met Mr. Lazzaroni, who was just wonderful, and you gave me another episode with fantastic older actors that are just crushing it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, this is, yeah, this, I really enjoyed this. Matthew, what's your, what's your pre-episode take? I'm the positive one. I thought it was a great episode, David. Okay. I well, was I... not being negative. I liked everything <laughs> except the detective and, and George Clooney. I found his behavior problematic, but everything else was great. <laughs> Okay, I love it. Matthew says he's being the positive one because usually I'm the one saying this was awful. Usually oh, okay, I'm the one okay. shitting on the episode. Yeah. All right. And uh, yeah. So uh, how was how was the aesthetic change? Did you expect? Did, did you have any idea what you were coming into with our new shop, our new uh, no. uh, sets, all the big hair and the costumes? What did you think? Oh my gosh! The, the, it opens up with the jazzy music and this shop, which is now just a color explosion. It looks like the Max from Saved by the Bell. Yep. Oh, totally. That's come up before. That it's absolutely got that vibe, which I guess the Max would have stolen from this vibe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. So no, that was it, it. Caught me off. Everybody looks different. Obviously, everyone is older. Uh, Mrs. Garrett has held up nicely. Yeah, and she looks better than ever because she's being dressed better. Finally, oh. that she's getting some less less matronly costumes and stuff that's more flattering. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I love particularly how she looked here because she was supposedly in her travel suit. So she's in a dark teal suit and she had on a blouse and a sweater vest that had some argyle on the front and a string of pearls. Like, and then when you're traveling. Yeah. And then there was a wrap over it, which is great because it's supposedly uh, wintertime in Peekskill, New York. Though you wouldn't know it last week when Tootie was getting her driver's license and there was not a <laughs> drop of snow in the ground and not a coat to be found. But uh, yeah, no, Mrs. Garrett looks terrific. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about this. And what we are going to be talking about, dear listeners, is season seven, episode 15, Stakeout Blues, uh, originally broadcast January 11th of 1986. First show of 86. Oh, man. Good year. Uh, important year. That's my high school graduation year. I'm class of 86. Oh, so, I, I was seven months old. And uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so uh, the show was written by Michael Weinberger and Jake Weinberger. Not a lot of information about them on the IMDb's and the Wikipedia's, but it looks like they are brothers based on birth dates and the years that they worked. Uh, both of them are credited as executive story consultants on uh, Growing Pains. And uh, funny you should mention the Max. Uh, the other show they were involved with was Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Oh, yeah. The, the, the original title for Saved by the Bell. That was some excellent detective work, David. It's probably better than Detective Bassinson from this episode, Stake Out Blues. <laughs> yeah, and we, we won't even talk about Bassinson. What, what the fuck kind of a name is that for? It's not a real name. D detective Anna Maria Alberghetti. It's like, what the Really? It couldn't have been Jones or Johnson? I mean, for how often you use it, it's clearly it had to be an homage or a family friend or it was their dad's mother's maiden name or something. They also both wrote for Just the Ten of Us, which has a lot of connective tissue with the facts of life because you find a lot of casting people who are uh, extras on this show also did Just the Ten of Us. 
and a lot of the core cast of just the 10 of us seem to have started out here in the Facts of Life. So likely the same casting people were working on both of those shows. Do you remember just the 10 of us? Me? No, no idea. Mm -hmm. It was the spinoff of, uh, oh God, which is the Urkel show? Family Matters? Yeah. Yeah, just the 10 of us was the coach of that show, his wife and six kids, uh, and eight kids. Wow. So it was a- and thing, Family was a, Manners was the spinoff of Perfect Strangers. So it's just a weird tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's some weird Gary Marshall, Norman Lear stuff going on there. But, sure. uh, but to split up the brothers now, Michael Weinberger, his credits end in 1997, uh, but they start in 1975. And he had been a creative consultant on six episodes of The Facts of Life back in season one. Mm. And it was awful in season one. So it's a miracle they brought him back. Um, and then the brother, Jake, Jake passed away in the year 2000 at the age of 46, which is like, holy shit. Yeah, that sucks. I couldn't find more information. I didn't have uh, a lot of Googling time to find out more there. But um, yeah, it looks like he was only like 30 years old when he made this show was yeah they were 30, young 32 good for them i mean they got into business early obviously uh, yeah and michael it looks like started earlier than jake because and he is credited sometimes as mike so uh mike was a writer also going back to happy days laverne and shirley three's company uh jake start a little bit later than that um but in particular, the thing we're always looking for here is this is their only facts of life writing credit other than, like I said, Mike had been a creative consultant for six episodes. That might've been the read. I think it was the later part of season one when it went for a little bit of a retooling halfway through. When when you have a 13 episode order for, for a, a new series and halfway through the 13, you have to close down production for a few months to retool the show. That's it was already in trouble going after that yeah yeah it is as we've said many times and the show of course was directed by john boab our in-house director he's been directing forever he directed the last one we talked about a year ago and uh before we talk about any of the guest acting cast none of them has any other appearances on the facts of life including our police officer, our elderly couple, and our uh, bus ticket selling perpetrator. Uh, so, and, um, and uh, before I even go on, the, the role of Kate, Kate is the voice of the police officer's partner on the walkie-talkie. Yeah. No credit. There's no, no credit for her on the IMDb or yeah, in the end credits. Even there. That's, that's devastating. I want to know who that was. She, someone showed up to work that day and she received nothing for i mean hopefully a paycheck but yeah we're talking crispin glover had uh, literally he opened a door in season two or three and said hey there's a phone call for you and then left the room like crispin glover got a credit for popping his head in and saying a line and leaving it's like this character of kate even though we don't see her she's an important part of this episode it's very possible Kristen, Crispin Glover showed up at the home of the producer in the middle of the night to make sure he got that credit, though. Yeah, maybe. It's, he's a little, he, he was a little bit weird, very committed to his craft. But uh, yeah. So, Garen, now is yeah. the time that we'd like to put our guest on the spot. Yes. And ask you to give a one to two sentence TV guide-esque synopsis of the entire episode. And I must warn you, if it does run too long, Matthew is going to belittle, berate, and insult you. Go! Uh, Mrs. Garrett is going to visit her d newly divorced sister at the same time as a detective shows up wanting to set up a sting in the shop. Everyone goes along with it. Mrs. Garrett is none the wiser. And the crime does go down. Excellent. Is that tight Excellent. enough? All right. Don't Matthew. clap for that. <laughs> you ass-kissing motherfucker. <laughs> He's there was on. nothing He's... wrong with stopping after that first sentence, Gare Bear. When it got to every goat buddy goes along with it, that's where you lost me. No, you're right. That first sentence was fine. Okay. That's all you needed. Wow. 
All right, I'm yeah. new to this. Well, this it's ass my kisser. What, what? All, I mean, all I had was Tootie's trying to pass a test on World War II, so I don't know what you all saw, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's your synopsis was that even that was a b story or even a c story but she kept with it, it for the entire it episode was, it was a c minus story wow yeah exactly okay well it's a wonderful thing that we're all such good friends that we can talk to each other like that <laughs> that wasn't uncomfortable or awkward at all no matthew you no know, you're the host you have to kiss the ass of the guest i'm the sidekick that's oh. not my job. <laughs> so are we ready to get into the microscopic dissection, boys? Is it time? Absolutely. Okay. The entire episode takes place in over our heads in the store. I love it. It's a lovely little, little bottle episode. And uh, we're always asking, who's minding the store? And uh, Blair and Joe are actually working and minding the store. So that's a good thing because there are times when we have the entire cast in the middle of the day at, in the living room, chilling out, reading magazines. And it's just like, um, you, you are all part business owners now in this. But in this situation, yeah, they are, they are almost all of them in the store at all times. And mm -hmm. there aren't any customers, but they're all there. They're ready. Yeah. They are. And I think there are two customers that thing at the top of the show where there's two people who just walk out and they leave. just, yeah, they, they walk out, yeah. possibly stole something. We don't know. <laughs> Shrinkage. So uh, Blair and Joe are minding the store. Uh, Mrs. Garrett is running around in a state of, of despair. And Tootie is being a little pain in the ass. And again, read the room. Mrs. Garrett is not in any any state of mind where she can really give you her full attention. And uh, she is so flustered, she can't find her carry-on bag as she prepares to travel. And she's looking underneath her fucking cookie counter in the store, thinking that's where she, is that where you left your carry-on travel bag, really? If you're keeping your personal items in the store, it's just bad business. Mm -mm. Yep. That might be for sale. Yeah, exactly. Someone might have bought it from underneath you, Mrs. Garrett. But uh, yeah, thinking it was a, a camera or a candy dispenser or something she like that. She obviously has no idea what inventory is in the shop. <laughs> so true. The girls so are just true. selling Mrs. Garrett's personal belongings as she gets more and more out of touch. Yeah. Well, the thing with the new shop is that they have, there is a division of one of them manages like the records and one of them handles the greeting cards. And Mrs. Garrett is the baked goods if and when she chooses to be there. Someone is in charge of the greeting cards. There were there were almost exactly 20 greeting cards. What sort of <laughs> job is that? It's it's Natalie's job and Natalie wasn't supposed to be there. Natalie was supposed to be traveling now, but she gave up all of her uh, post high school, not going to college traveling money uh, in order to contribute to opening the shop. And oh, okay. uh, yeah. I'm sorry, listeners, I'm, I'm still catching up. <laughs> But the deal is, uh, Tootie is chasing Mrs. Garrett down because she's got a big test coming up on the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And she's basically saying, well, what else do you know? Tell me anything. Tell me things. I, I don't know anything. I'm not ready for this test. And Mrs. Garrett's like, would you go fuck yourself? And um, I'm paraphrasing. And finally, Tootie says, no, Mrs. Garrett, I need to know you were there and I wasn't. And uh, Joe says to her, yeah, did you see much action, Mrs. Garrett? Like, wow. And Mrs. Garrett says, I was in junior high school. And so she didn't see much action, as it were. Mrs. Garrett was in junior high school during the Second World War. You know what this means, Matthew? Oh, we get to discuss the girls' ages for about yes! 20 minutes. <laughs> There is, uh, the, the girls' ages come into question a lot, Garen. There are a okay. lot of inconsistencies, but Mrs. Garrett's age has come, okay, Matthew's left. He's going to go pee because he knows I'm going to be talking for a while. Um, Mrs. Garrett, the last time we had an indicator of what her age is, we thought maybe she might have been born sometime around 1930, which okay. would put her right now uh, at, uh, at 55, basically, is what we are thinking she is. Sure. 
based on other things previously discussed. Honestly, Garen, I, I truly, I won't bore you with it. Uh, this is consistent with that. If she was born yeah. in 1930, uh, that means she would have been between 11 and 15 from 1941 to 1945 when we were involved in the Second World War. And uh, that is also consistent with how often TV shows have actors playing younger than they actually are in real life. Oh, she's Char definitely older than 55. Yeah, Charlotte Ray. Here's the thing, though. Charlotte Ray was born in 1926. She's only 59. She's not even 60. I take back what I said about Mrs. Garrett looking good. <laughs> People age differently back then. I know. And 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 she was a heavy smoker. We know that she smoked a oh, lot. So yeah, that'll do it. That absolutely uh, will. What do, do you it. mean that'll do it? It was the 80s. Joe and Blair are 19. <laughs> Let's just leave Hold that up. there. Whoa, wait. All right. They're 19 in this episode. Yeah, they're not 42 like you think. Oh. So so. <laughs> <let's>, <laughs> Back off the smokers a little bit here. But, but you're, you're an <laughs> ex-smoker, Matthew. Just the 80s. Just the 80s. I mean, Everybody yeah. looked 100. Yeah, it's true. And uh, Blair and Joe are 21. Anyway. Yeah. Just, just saying. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So the good thing is this, is, this is a show Bible ding check mark for the fact that we've not ever been explicit about Mrs. Garrett's age. Uh, this does fall in line with, okay, we're good. And uh, let's continue this as another ding, checkmark, show Bible, good moment. Uh, Mrs. Garrett says that she's traveling to see her sister, Beverly. And she was up on the phone with her half the night because this divorce is tearing her up. Beverly, her sister, is uh, going through a bad divorce. Mm -hmm. And Garen you may not realize this is the first time we are officially setting the stage for the departure of Charlotte Ray from the series at the beginning of next season. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. She goes to live with Beverly? Beverly leaves wherever she's from in her camper and comes to Peekskill to stay at Mrs. Garrett's place with the girls and help manage the store because uh, Edna... Uh, rekindles an old romance, gets married, and goes off to join the Peace Corps with him. What? <laughs> that, that is the correct response. It's an 80s sitcom, you know? Yeah. At, at age 60, you remarry an old flame and go rejoin. They met in the Peace Corps years ago, apparently. So they were they just they just swap out Mrs. Garrett for for Beverly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is Cloris Leachman. Oh, well, she's fantastic. Uh, yes, she is. This gets the, let's face the fact, seal of approval that the show is taking such time and care and thought to start establishing now that uh, Beverly Ann is the sister going through a divorce. And what this is in the short term, Garen, this is a setup to get Mrs. Garrett out of town because Charlotte Ray is already looking to reduce her role. And so the next few episodes, she's going to be not in the show. She'll still be, quote unquote, out of town with the sister. Uh, See, now so, that's interesting because I felt like she was resistant to go spend time with her sister. I, I wanted to know more about why she felt bad about this divorce, but she was not interested in going. I thought she was interested in going. It is weird to me that she was so concerned about the store, about, are you sure you can get by without me? And I wanted them to say, uh, got by without you for six episodes last season. Uh, mm. Yeah, closed up really the shop. She this point. She was. Closed up shop and went down to fucking Fort Lauderdale for spring break. No one was minding the store, making any croissants or whatever. But So Mrs. Garrett leaves the shop to go pick up her dry cleaning. So then after Mrs. Garrett leaves. In walks Detective Bassinen. He's on the case. <laughs> strictly routine yeah and and that that voice you're assuming yeah we we later find out his first name is scott detective with the Peekskill police department and uh he pretty much has this same way of delivering his lines yes. every single line and he's, he's got super hot haircut as joe and he <laughs> I think Clooney's haircut more matches Joe, but oh, Clooney's haircut too. Yeah. God. Oh my God. Well, now, I gotta, I gotta talk to Clooney later. I can't talk Clooney yet. Right. 
No, I forbid right. you. Clooney is right. not yet in the episode. You do not right. talk Clooney until I say you can talk Clooney. Got it. But Detective Scott Bassinson is played by an actor named Dimitri Phillips. Uh, not a lot of credits, only 18 credits in 17 years. Very generous to call him an actor. <laughs> uh, he was on Police Woman, Welcome Back, Cotter, Chips, MacGyver, uh, a couple of movies, including uh, Zapped, uh, a 1979 teen trash movie called Gas Pump Girls. Garen and I were looking at that just a few minutes ago. Yeah, we were. And uh, wow, not a good movie. Um, and also the wonderful 1981 romantic comedy, All Night Long. Now, I have a very short list of celebrity encounters, but Dennis Quaid is one of them. Really? I met Tell him me more. I, tell me more. When I worked at a law office, he came into our office one day uh, because he was a client. And he was probably in his early 50s, but he was dressed like a 19-year-old like a hipster, complete <laughs> with a scarf and very sporty shoes and a black jacket. And he leaned up against the wall and kind of just talked to everybody in this low kind of mumbly, I'm too good for this voice. And I stood there in a dress shirt that was too big for me because I was 23 and had no idea how to dress myself. And where was this? Chicago. That's right. You were Chicago before you got to us here in Central Florida. Wow. Yeah. Not a great story, but also not a great <laughs> impression by Dennis Quaid. I, um so yeah how did this dude get this part is my question uh, like it's it shows like it's it's actors like this that show up this and like when i watch something on the disney channel and i think who was casting this that found that thought these were the best actors for this part who mm. like like there ha there are good child actors out in hollywood there are mm -hmm. why are none of them on a Disney Channel show. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So why is, the, how did this dude get, I mean, obviously I know how he got it. Because I mean, look fuckable. at him, for God's sake. So I mean, fuckable. God I just want to know what casting director sucked his dick to get him in this part is what <laughs> I want to know. Because that's exactly how he got this part. Yeah, mm. clearly they took his, they took his line readings and kind of the the punching of many words throughout it they clearly took that to be like oh that's authoritative and he needs to be authoritative if he's going to be a police detective kind of a guy so and uh, honestly you know from a utilitarian standpoint it's it's fine i agree there are so many actors who could have made so much more of this do you think he's smarter than all of us and he was doing like a tj hooker or like, like a he was, Shatner, yeah, full on. Like maybe Sh like Shatner, like as as a maybe. I, I feel like he was one of those guys that showed up on set and he was just trying to enchant everybody with his stories and and talk about the work he's done before. And you know, like the regular cast was just getting through it, biding their time until the next take. Yeah, you know, oh, I think he had less he to say than my Dennis Quaid story. <laughs> well. Immediately, horny Natalie goes right up to him. He's oh, like, yeah. I'm a detective. Do you need to see my badge? And she's like, doesn't mean you have to take your shirt off. So uh, horny Natalie back in. It's it's a beautiful thing to behold. We haven't seen horny Natalie in a little while. So um, but he does look great. He is our, our close personal friend, Diana Eden, who's the costumer for this, Garen. I mean, he is in tones of gray and burgundy, the lining of his jacket is burgundy that matches his tie. And then the the scarf he's got on is plaid and has got the grays and the burgundies and ties the whole outfit together. Like he looks fucking amazing. He's a very well-dressed policeman. But he's terrible at his job. <laughs> oh, please do T talk to me about how he's terrible at his job. Go. Okay, so he walks in, he's like, we got a tip that an illegal transaction was gonna happen. The tip, it doesn't matter. Who gave him the tip, doesn't matter. They're never gonna talk about that again. They got the tip, that's all we need to know, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, we're gonna bust him. Strictly routine. How? It, it's, it's like, he acts like they do this every day. Then he proceeds to um, plug himself into the shop because he's gotta stay there to make the bust. And then he has no idea what he should do to be part of this scene. So he yeah. fluctuates between 
feeling like he's got the whole thing under control and then he's just kind of riffing on what it is actually at this point when he introduces himself i wrote this cop is such a shit he's the one who's up to no good because i was sure he was so bad at his job that he must have been the crook at the end of the episode damn now that would have been a great twist it would have been good you were asking a lot of the writers for pulling <laughs> that off, Gare Bear. Um, my problem was, I guess we, we're supposed to assume he's already done the research. This tip is that it's happening at this shop. Who's to say that any of these four girls aren't involved in some way? Yeah. So you're walking right in, showing your full hand. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? You walk right in and go, I'm a cop! And there's something happening here! It's just... <laughs> Which is how every other moment of this story takes place. When the crooks show up, they're like, we're the crooks. Yeah. Yeah. But I love my, he asks, he goes, what can I do in this store so I don't look suspicious? Well, being a customer is a sure tip off that something is amiss. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly we've got to make you an employee, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. And I love how Joe's given him like like the fucking resume because you may not be believable selling a fucking inflatable palm tree over here. So let me make sure. Have you ever done this before? I have a dick and you've never done that before, Joe. So sit down while I fucking act like I work here. Oh, wow. And and I I took issue with the I, I felt it was accidental sexism when they were talking to Natalie about how you could write about a stakeout from a woman's point of view. Yeah. Why would they say that? Like women have never been involved in stakeouts before. It it is weird. That's what Joe, because Joe is clearly smitten with him. There's clearly a thing going on. Blair teases her to no end. Like you would tease your girlfriend. uh, If you, uh, if your, if your lesbian girlfriend was uh, sweet on a dude. And then he, he highlights the fact that he says, which department do you want me to work in? Which was very confusing for me because as we got to earlier in this recording, I had no idea that this tiny shop was supposed to be broken up into different divisions. But yeah. he, because his lines were written for him by the by the writing staff, he, he laid that out for us that, oh, which one of your tiny departments do you want me to be the head of? Yeah, there's a lot of little problems here, yes. So as soon as it's like, great, he's staying. And then it's like, well, okay, what do you want me to do around here? And Blair's like, well, why doesn't Joe show you the ropes? And so as soon as it's like, yeah, okay, I'll show you what you gotta know. And then his walkie talkie goes off and it's this uh, voice of a woman. And Joe immediately is like, oh, you have a woman partner. Clearly that means you're not available romantically like. And the woman's name is Kate. And uh, he says, yeah, she's great. Too bad she's married. At which point Joe's like, I'm back in. Oh, oh, simplicity of 80s relationships. I heard the sound of a waterfall when he said that. (laughs) So uh, one little funny connection of our A story and our B story. uh, As he goes through his list of previous covers of all the different uh, roles he's played, uh, to be uh, to be a cop, Tootie says, "Oh, you ever teach history?" And then you hear over the walkie-talkie, Kate says, "Yeah, I did. It was for a drug bust in a high school." So Tootie grabs the walkie-talkie, and then later we have Kate being the one bringing her up to speed and Tootie taking notes. And I, I think that was a pretty funny idea. Yeah, yeah. Kate was a was a history teacher at a high school for an undercover event. And yeah. Joe's worried that Captain Scott over here can't even work in a gift shop. <laughs> he's like, she's running the resume on him. Like, mm, I don't know if he's going to cut the mustard, so to speak. <laughs> but Kate was a faked her way through being a history teacher. Got it. Got it. We're done. Good. I'm back. How does yep. that work? Does the real history teacher get to stay home with pay while she just subs for a few weeks until they bust the drugs? Because that sounds like a pretty sweet deal for that history professor. Well, since it was Kate, we're never going to know because it's from a woman's point of view. Right. <laughs> Hi. What's your history from a woman's point of view? Yeah. What? Uh, why start now? So we do have a funny moment where Mrs. Garrett now comes back into the shop. A lot has happened when she just ran across the street to get her damn dry cleaning. So she yeah. walks in and having never met her before, 
uh, Scott is like, hey there, how can I help you? Mrs. Karen's like, who the fuck are you? And they quickly are like, uh, uh, we need to sitcom lie because Matthew loves sitcom lying, Garen. It's one of his Happens fav- twice in this episode. Happens yes. twice. Yeah. They're like, uh, she's like, you hired extra help. And she's like, no, maybe I shouldn't go. If you think you need extra help without me, and they're like, no, 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 no. He's a guy and he's got ideas for marketing. And well, what's that walkie talkie? She asks. It's not a walkie talkie. It's a, a, a gum dispenser. Yeah, that's the ticket. And so she just she buys it. She's just like, oh, OK, cool. Yeah, it's a sitcom. Sure. Yeah, it's like, doesn't he need to fill out a W-4? So then uh, they reassure her everything is fine. Go. And she's like, good. So she goes off into the other room to the house to keep packing, which she is taking a lot of time doing, preparing for this trip, by the way. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we dissolve to later, still in the shop. And uh, now we have a surveillance camera on the wall, like right over the register. And Joe is hanging a sign that says half off. And they're like, what the fuck is that about? And she's like, well, this way it looks like a piece of merchandise. You know, Scott and I were talking and coming up with idea. And Blair's like, you and Scott. And then she says, why don't you put us out of our misery and ask him out? And Joe says, Blair, that's not my style. He's a man. (laughs) Yep. Diesel horn. So, uh, yeah. But never mind the fact that we're in a store that is like sensory overload. And how can we hide this camera? Let's put a sign on it. Yeah. It's like a really, a really terrible cardboard sign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wasn't impressed with the theming of the the type of camera they hung up there. There was no wireless. So that camera would have had to run a wire through the wall. So they did all that in the afternoon. They drywalled it. They painted it, put it back up. They fished the wall out of time. Yeah, they could they could have fished the wall if they went up through the attic. And, oh, uh, yeah, wow. you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mad of you. Wow. I'm 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 kind of butch. I know my home repair stalls and all that. Ah. Um, How do you explain those curtains? <laughs> how dare you? But um, so the deal is, then we have a very funny moment while Tootie is talking to Kate on the walkie-talkie. Yeah. We overhear. George, as in George Clooney, who's not been in the episode yet, we overhear him trying to pick her up and laying a few lines on her. And and it's very funny. And uh, and in particular, the fact that she basically says, no, she doesn't say I'm married, which she could have said, but she's like, go fuck yourself. And this is not the first time, Garen, where we've had a woman say, no, I'm not going to fuck you, George Clooney. Get away from me. Ew. But you know what? That's important for Kate to have said, because saying I'm married is an easy out. But she she shut him down as a man, as a person, which should have said something to him. But no, George. Now we're on George Clooney. I I finally get to talk about George Clooney, right? Clooney me. Clooney all over me. This character is just like John Stamos in Full House, which I recall Uncle Jesse Katsopoulos being a fantastic character. But now I am rewatching with my kids, as I mentioned, we're in season three, and he is a problematic man-child that makes people very uncomfortable if they <laughs> don't do exactly what he wants. Ooh. Wow. And that's how I, and I only got, you know, we got this very light fluttering of George Clooney in this episode, but that's immediately what I was reminded of. Fascinating. He just because... made this woman uncomfortable. He put her on the defensive. She's just trying to sit in her car. Yeah, I, I mean, it was kind of like, hey, I noticed you over here were parked, sitting parked in your car. And he's like, you know, do you need any help? Do you need, what does he say? Need me to look under your hood or something like oh, that? Yeah. Like it is, it is suggestive, but ah. Okay, or, so I'm I'm wrong. He's not a total creep in this show. Uh, we know his character and we know that for how often he strikes out, even though he looks like George Clooney, they seem to not understand in the writer's room how fuckable and charming he is so oh, um, i think they were told exactly how charming and fuckable he was that's why he's on the show they were like figure out i don't care how i don't care why i don't care who 
comes up with the idea, but George Clooney is on your show now. So you get to write a character for him, but make sure that you put in this fucking character that he can't get his dick sucked in peak skill. (laughs) We know he's not creepy. I guess you're right. Isolating this episode, his coming up in a pro, but honestly, Garen, as someone who grew up in the eighties, this was all over television. No woman anywhere was safe from a guy just walk up and saying, hey, you know, nice titch. You want to go out on Saturday? Like that was really acceptable. It's it's crazy to think of it from modern. Yeah, standards. he's he's no less chauvinistic than like a like I believe like Jack Tripper would have been on Three's Company as mm. a like, you know, mm-hmm. who falls off his bike looking at a woman dry, walking by, you know, yeah. and- don't even get me started on Ted Danson and Cheers. He is a monster. Oh, (laughs) yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. The overarching George Clooney thing with this show is is not that he's not typically creepy. He doesn't usually do that. All right. I'm projecting then because I am very disturbed by my my world being rocked with with uh, Uncle Jesse. Yeah. So anyway, the big laugh and Clooney sells it so perfectly. Uh, he comes in and just announces to the room, it's not safe to walk the streets anymore. This chick was all over me. And it is a huge laugh, huge laugh. And he's, I, he is so magnificent. I love him on this show. Um, so they do tell him, but we, we overheard you. We know, we know that you got turned down yet again, because God knows none of us want to fuck you. Uh, but they catch him up. He wants to help. And when he says, yeah, I'm in, I want to help. What can I do? What does he do, Matthew? Oh, he he jump, literally jumps onto the counter. And I, I just I guess I guess with him, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say it, David. I don't mind. <laughs> I mean, the least mad at George's ass being on the counter. And I mean, I would probably I've said it before and I will say it again because I stand by it. I would lick that countertop clean after <laughs> he sat on it. So, Garen, Matthew has a very violently negative reaction to people sitting in the counter and will not will not endure when one of the girls does it. Clooney. Oh. We'll give him a little bit of a pass, but he all he sits on creases the pages in Blair's book. It's like, really? He could crease my face by sitting on it. I did not (laughs) feel bad for that book. I was actually jealous of the book and thought, I wonder what that book tastes like now. (laughs) If I were Blair Warner, I would have put that in a zip lock bag and it would be in my closet to this day, like Neil Patrick Harris's black socks. Do you have Neil Patrick Harris's black socks in your closet in a Ziploc bag? He's told me that before. I do. Okay, cool. Uh, Mrs. Garrett comes in, notices the camera, notices the sign. She's like, what the fucking fuck? And they already have lied about the walkie-talkie, so this is our second chance to sitcom lie to Mrs. Garrett. And what do they tell her the camera is? In the version I watched, they told her it was what what the kids are calling a marital aid. No, <laughs> no, stop. If you're yeah. going to tell me a video camera has never been a marital aid, David, I will, stand, <laughs> I, I will log off right now. You, will, you will fight me. I know you will fight me on that. Yes. Okay. Whatever it is they tell her, they lie. They sitcom lie again. And then the act ends with the, the perpetrators showing up. There's a sale of some goods that's going to happen. So the buyers are showing up. They give a description. And the man is wearing something and the woman is wearing a red hat. White hair and a red hat. And this is one of my favorite moments of the episode because they just, the music is fantastic. They walk in with the side eye and the shifty behavior. It was just the perfect sitcom moment. Yeah, they did underscore it with some mysterious music as yeah. they slinked their way in and looking left and look to the left, look, look to the left and look shit. to the yeah, right. It was great. Yeah. And uh, and the big reveal, the big surprise before we go to commercial is it is an elderly couple. They are easily in their early 100s. Mm-hmm. And uh, the actors are uh, in the role of Sarah. The actress is Anne Nelson. She was in 112 episodes of the TV show Fame 
in the role of Mrs. Berg. I never watched Fame. Did you guys? No. It's a lot of episodes. Yeah, but a ton of other one-offs. Uh, 32 credits over 15 years. Not a very long career. Um, and her first credit is 1977. And she was born in 1916. So it looks like she started her TV film career at 61. And uh, I remember her from the airplane movies. In both of the airplane movies, mm. she's one of the people where when they get, uh, Ted gets talking on his long story about probably the Macho Grande story. Uh, that's, she's one of the people that's throwing up in the, in the barf bag and she's, she's awesome. Great role. Yep. And then in the role of Max, the husband, Arthur Mallet or Malay, M-A-L-E-T, Malay, like valet with an M, I guess, 139 credits in a 42-year career. Now, he's the one who played Toodles in Hook, right? I believe he did. Yeah, he was good. And, and you, Garen, Matthew, you and I, all three of us are two degrees of Kevin Bacon related to him. What? Did you know? He played the graveyard keeper in the movie Halloween in 1978. The movie Halloween also starred our close personal friend, John Michael Graham. John Graham. Oh, yeah. He was in this movie with Arthur Mallet. So we are all three of us now related to the facts of life. How fucking awesome is that? Have I mentioned that I met Dennis Quaid? How, how was that? It was, it was great. It was a great moment. Give me a few more minutes to come up with a better version. <laughs> yes. So we come back from commercial and uh, the perps have entered. Yes. Uh, we've been having a lot of Natalie uh, Borscht Belt Catskills moments in previous episodes, Garen. And thankfully, they don't lean that hard into it in this one. But Natalie does have some great lines. And this is my favorite of them where commenting on how old these people are, this is not what they expected to see these senior citizens. And uh, Blair says something like, I don't believe that they'd be dealing drugs. And Joe says, we don't know it's drugs. It could be firearms or explosives. And Natalie says, or Mahjong tiles, look at them. There's a good line. Ha <laughs> ha, I love it. So. Uh, Scott says we have to wait until the seller. We have to wait until the seller comes and money changes hands. Let's stand over here and quietly watch them. <laughs> We're all the way on the other side of this shop. Yeah. <laughs> stage whisper. Oh, that's a stage direction. That was in parentheses. I wasn't supposed to say that. So Natalie and Tootie actually wait on them and they look at a birthday card. They ask them to sit down and offer them a cup of coffee, say, oh, it's free with the birthday card because they just want to keep them there. But Tootie and Natalie are very quickly like, why are you guys doing this? What, what's going on here? They, you know, the walls have ears, the phones have eyes. That's it. They say the camera is a phone. It's a telephone. Don't they? Oh, that, oh you got, I think that's it. Oh, over dear. the camera, I want to talk about the coffee cups that look like tiny vases. Oh, I didn't even notice them. Please discuss the at length. Coffee cups, they're, they're extra skinny. It's probably the same quantity as a regular coffee cup, but they're extra skinny and tall. And then the, the, the handle is very small and it's halfway up. You have to, it didn't, it didn't stand out to anyone. They're also salmon colored. Yeah, it stood out to me because they are clearly empty when they put them on there. <laughs> that too. On the, uh, when they serve them. But yeah, they are, they are where they look like little steins almost. Yeah, a stein is a good way oh, to describe it. Okay, I didn't notice them. I will do a screen grab and I will post it. You miss these cups. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how I did it. I'm kind of ashamed, but that's what it is. They lied to Mrs. Garrett and said that somehow the camera that has the half off price is somehow a telephone, I think. And that's what precipitates them trying to, guys, you know, you're being watched kind of a thing. And of course, Officer Scott is like, guys, don't tip them off that it's a sting. I'm going to arrest you. <laughs> Did you say, I'm going to rest you? That's what he didn't say. I'm going to rest you. Interfering with this routine operation. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, they are still trying to detain them. They walk back over to the counter, all four of them, plus uh, Detective Scott, at which point uh, they're like, what? what is this about? They're a sweet old couple. What could they possibly be exchanging? What are the goods that are happening that are changing hands? And he says, uh, counterfeit bus passes. And it cost the transit authority last year over, did he say $200,000? Which I guess is a lot of money back then. I guess you'd call the cops in, but I missed that. But I, I immediately Googled counterfeit bus passes. Did you? What did you find? In Canada in 2020, a man was busted with counterfeit bus passes. He had 1,047 passes and they were valued at $101,000. So it was more of a crime than I expected. Wow. It was, I was like, oh, okay, that guy actually committed a crime. Yeah. So maybe this is a good episode after all. Well, that's the thing. They're treating the bus passes like it's a joke, but it's like, oh, no, people have actually done that. Yeah. I mean, big problem in Edmonton, Alberta. Oh, dear. Well, let's to our neighbors to the great white north. Let's let's wish them uh, thoughts and prayers that they they get that squared away. Mm. Uh, But then his response is when they're like, but they're old people. Don't don't bust them. And he says, hey. Criminals come in all ages. And then what happens? Oh, this kid, this kid bursts in. Do you know who this kid is? Um, Uh, Show some respect. Do you know who this fucking Hollywood royalty is? I, I, I indeed him. And I think I vaguely remember him from some stuff, but I guess I don't really know who he is. Did you not even have a sense of who he is in the context of the show? No, I have no idea who his relationship is to these women. (laughs) It's just like George. He just like comes in and he's part of their circle. Except, oh, I'm glad you didn't see a horny Andy episode because you would have lost your mind. Yeah, we usually have him saying like adult stuff like, I really want to date a a stewardess or something like you. Who is this kid? Tell him, Matthew. This, my my darling Gerber, is Mackenzie Aston. Um, his father was John Aston. Oh, really? Nothing? <laughs> Nothing? Why, what? Any relation I wish... to Sean Aston? Uh, yes. Sean oh, Aston is, it... is his older brother. Oh, Sean Aston's his older brother. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. And John Aston is most famous for playing um, Gomez Adams in the Adams Family TV show. Oh, okay. Okay. And um okay. And his mother is Academy Award winner, the wonderful Miss Patty Duke. And I would know her from Oh, oh my god. Oh no. Jesus God, no. Oh, Gare Bear. Oh my god. That's that's not why I'm on this show, right? I'm not I'm not supposed to be here for <laughs> I'm supposed to just be able to react to the moment, which is what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, this, yeah. This is making me so fucking happy right now. <laughs> what, what, watching me fall out of love with somebody? Um, oh, oh, wow. Choosing the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> well, I guess telling you she was on the Patty Duke show isn't going to help. <laughs> <laughs> what really put her on the map, Garen, is she was in the stage and film versions of the miracle worker in the role of Helen Keller. Oh, (laughs) that won her the Academy Award in 1962. So Andy comes in and I did think to myself, wow, to Garen's eyes, this is probably the most random out of left field. What is happening now moment in this episode? Yeah, I just wrote, who's this kid? Yeah. Well, what it is, is that in response to uh, Scott going, criminals come in all ages, Andy charges in, hey, guys, I won 12 bucks in the football pool. And Natalie says, well, there you go, Scott, wrestled a little dirt bag to the floor. And Andy quickly covers with the folks at the rescue mission are going to really appreciate this. So that kind of justifies the gambling. <laughs> Except he doesn't do because he's a goddamn brilliant actor trained by two of the most brilliant actors in 
fucking history of Hollywood. He doesn't do sitcom lying. He looks up, looks that dude in the face and says, and the mission is going to appreciate this so much. He is amazing. We are always singing his praises, even when the writers are writing deeply inappropriate uh, sexual dialogue for him. Mm. So, yeah, I'm sure he grew up very normal. <laughs> yeah, with a in uh, Patty Duke, you know, she wrote an entire book about being what, bipolar or dissociative identity. Was I've she heard that? Like, like, yeah, like she was not a well woman and acknowledges that she was not a well woman for a good portion of her life. Um, so, yeah. But as Andy uh, is there, they're like, look, go over and wait on those people. We're, we're, something's happening, but we're not going to, you know, complicate things by telling you. Just go over and see if they need more coffee or something. So he goes over and talks to the people and they're like, oh, he reminds us of our grandson. And earlier they had given the story to Tootie and Natalie that, you know, social security isn't enough and we have a big family and we don't get to see them because we can't afford to travel. Well, um, they say Andy reminds them of one of their grandchildren. And then Sarah starts to have a change of heart. And she's like, Max, I'm worried. You know, he looks just like Matthew. If that were, and it's Matthew, right? Yeah. It's Matthew. Yeah. She says she's worried. You know, we were doing this to get money so we can see the grandkids. But, uh, you know, how could we face them doing this thing that we know is wrong? And she says, what if that little boy were Matthew? Look at him. Look at that face. And we get the literally shining greatest moment of the entire fucking episode where he overhearing this is just pouring sugar in the coffee, but he is just turning on the I'm adorable face. And God damn, it is hysterical. And with seeing this adorable cutaway of Andy, uh, they're like, we're, we're out. We can't do this. So they leave and Scott is disappointed. And no, he's no, like, no, 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 no. Scott is not disappointed. Scott still tries to arrest them even though they didn't do anything. Oh, yes, you're right. You're totally right. He's a terrible cop. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. They're like, whoa, he, they didn't do any. You can't arrest somebody for thinking about doing a crime. This isn't Minority Report <laughs> with Tom Cruise. So with the them leaving and, yeah, and uh, uh, Officer Scott here not being able to arrest them illegally, Right. Uh, they're gone. And then we get Kate over the walkie talkie saying, oh, the guy, the evil guy, the perp is coming in. Are you ready? Are you ready for him? And he's like, fuck, we're not. At which point Joe says, wait a minute, I'm about to get a good idea that will continue to endear me to you romantically. Mm -hmm. Do they know what that old couple looked like? And he says, and he knows this off the top of his head. He's like, well, they knew it was a, a guy and a woman with white hair in a red hat. And Joe says, Tootie, go get Mrs. Garrett. We may not have a white haired woman in a red hat, but we have a red haired woman in a white hat. As she grabs a white hat off of their rack of fashion among the many different departments in this store. The hat department. Nailed it. Scott is like. It's people like you who make my job worthwhile. I like I that Blair said she didn't want to include Mrs. Garrett because this kind of thing always upsets Mrs. Garrett. You know, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing that we have all the time, like drug busts and stakeouts in the in the store. Strictly this always routine. you guys, you know, these things always upset Mrs. Garrett. Yeah. Ah. Even though she's a former registered nurse, she can fly a plane. Yeah. Uh, she was in the Peace Corps. Yeah. Uh, ran a suicide hotline, drove a cab. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Gantz had a lot of- a restaurant. Managed a restaurant, that's right. Uh, so then the guy comes in. They are ready to go. They bring in Mrs. Garrett. They quickly explain it to her, comedically explain it to her right. very quickly. And when they looked at her like, so, so what do you say? And she just kind of looks confused and says, give me the hat wonderful moment where she's yeah. like i don't know what's going on but fuck it i'm in i love this moment so then in comes the guy in as they described him a pinstripe suit he's wearing a bow tie and a fedora what, what garen you're shaking your head what's the matter 
I don't, I don't have him word for word, but to paraphrase his line when he enters is something to the effect of, I am here for the crime. This shop <laughs> is where we do our crime. Yeah. Well, he looks like he's the star of a production of Guys and Dolls at the fucking villages. <laughs> like fucking they bring in Nathan Detroit, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely. right, Gabriel. He, he, yeah, on the suspiciousometer uh, rating of one to ten, he's about a forty-three. Uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, he walks in, and uh, I, what, when when Mrs. Garrett is in, they put her in the hat. What do they do, Matthew? For some reason, lift her up onto the counter. And yeah, Garen, what you just said is true. He walks in, and he goes, "Hey, what, what, what's this? It was supposed to be white hair with a red hat, like." Like, literally, I'm here to do the crime. Yeah. You're right. You're so right. Um, so Joe and Blair do the talking. This is where Joe, it works well, because Joe is talking like she is, you know, part of the good old established permanent floating crap game in New York. Uh, so it's like, no, no, no. The, red, the hair is red. The hat is white. You got the stuff given to me. Blah, blah. So he brings out the passes. Money changes hands. They arrest him. And then before he leaves, uh, Officer Scott uh, asks. Swoops in. Swoops in. That's right. Gets him. Gets him. Wrestles him to the ground. Sort of. And uh, he ends up asking Joe out. And Joe says, yeah, you totally could give me a call sometime if you need to know a place to go to eat, if you know what I'm talking about. Then they cut to a a shot of Blair boiling a rabbit, which is interesting. (laughs) Was that that was was that the syndicated for I I missed then that shot. Longer and uncut. <laughs> That's the director's cut. So at the end, we wrap up the episode with Tootie saying, We got the crook and Joe got the guy. And Natalie says, I got writer's cramp. And Mrs. Garrett says, and you all got a lot of explaining to do. Da-da-da. Yep. And we wraps it up. And wraps it up. I, I forgot to talk about the actor, by the way. You were you were talking about how great the older actors were. I agree with you. Everett, the bad guy, the the guy dressed as as Stubby K from Guys and Dolls. Uh, his name is John C. Either Besher or Besher, B E C H E R. Of course, me as a homosexual, I read that as Besher. <laughs> I try every day. Believe me. Uh, he has 66 credits in a 35-year career, no series, not a single series. All he of them. Away the same year this episode came out, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. This was like his penultimate role. The same he year. Couldn't live it down. That was the problem. Yeah, but he's one of those actors where he was in five episodes of Car 54. Where are you? In which Charlotte Ray appeared, of course, as Sylvia Schnauzer, wife of one of the cops. But he's in five episodes as five different characters. Oh, I love that. That's like Bernie Capel on Bewitched. It's like, you know, you're George Washington. Well, now you're a drunk in the gutter. Well, now you're a Mexican hat dancer. It's just you. It's like the, the true um, master character actor with a capital C.A. where he just played everything everywhere and, and good on him, really and truly. We've just torn this to shreds. We have shat upon it. We have wiped our ass with it, flushed it down the toilet, and then stepped on it. And yet I'm like, I I like this. I thought this was fun. I laughed out loud multiple times. I had a a lot of fun watching this too. I I hated everything about the cop, but I had fun (laughs) with the episode. I thought that the, the older actors were the best part of the episode because I don't appreciate... Mackenzie Aston. I was um, clearly. I was very caught off guard by the enthusiasm from the pair of you uh, <laughs> of his role in the show. Uh, I was too distracted because I couldn't figure out why he was there or, or what was going on. And then I looked him up and I was like, oh, "Okay, I think I remember seeing him from Scandal, but I'm not sure." Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, we are almost done. All we need now is final thoughts. It's season seven. It's fabulous. It's it's no worse or ridic- more ridiculous than honestly any Golden Girls episode. So I'm it's it's 
who which also had an episode with with a stakeout in their living room. Oh, so, yeah, that is such I a mean, TV trope. Every is yeah. is there not a sitcom that doesn't have somehow you would think it's it's like quicksand. Quicksand was something we were led to believe as children was a much more common threat to our lives than it actually has turned yes. out to be. Am I right? So yes. I love season seven. I love the wackiness of it. I love the the completely non sequitur stuff that happens. Like every episode is a new episode and I love it. And Garen. My final thoughts. Mrs. Garrett is a terrible business owner. <laughs> the girls pulled this one off. Mm-hmm. Detective Bassanin needs to be investigated by the internal investigation department. Sure, I'm not the sure IID. what that department's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who is Patty Duke? <laughs> and David, check out those coffee cups. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you, Garen, for thank making the time, for taking time away from your busy schedule of sitting around and healing your ankle. <laughs> thank Bless you for your having heart. me on, yeah. I, I don't, it, you literally, you telling the story, it's my worst nightmare because I have never broken a bone in my body and I can't, I, I don't even want to think about how particularly awful it will be if and when that day comes. So, I don't recommend it. And and then getting surgery on top of it even makes it all the more icky. Yeah. That's why in general, when it comes to like physical activity, I try not to do anything at any time ever. Sure. Absolutely. And so far it's been working for me. So we're just going to leave it at that. All right, sweet pea. Well, can't wait to see you again in person. Until then, heal up. Love to the wife and the kids and smooches and goodbye. Thank Mwah. you. Thanks for having me on, guys. And there you have it. That was Garen Jones. I do have a correction. I know you all heard it and you are all screaming at your phones or in your cars or whatever. Just the Ten of Us is a spinoff of Growing Pains, not Family Matters. That is a mistake I make on a consistent and regular basis. If you listen to the show with any regularity, you know I constantly confuse those two shows. It's it's because I didn't really watch them. I'm too old. There, there. That's my explanation. That's my excuse. I'm too old. Nah, go fuck yourself. Anyway, next week, we're going to be watching Season 7, Episode 15, called The Agent. And you can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com or on the Roku channel. I will post links in the show notes as well as on this episode's webpage. That's all for now. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.